Welcome back to Podcast 63 of 2023. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. Follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us at The Icebreakers. Follow us on social media slash The Icebreakers. This episode is brought to you by TheSeason.com. For the best football contests and all sport contests throughout the year, please visit the season slash OB. Terms and conditions apply. If you'd like to support The Icebreakers and benefit from our premium place, please visit theisbreakers.com, click shop, become a member, pick any of our winning cappers to get our premium plays before the line moves. You can also support us on patreon.com. If nothing else, please visit the Icebreakers to become a free picks and telegram subscriber. I just updated our Discord channel as well, put my records down there. That's where I'm going to be posting them throughout the season. So if you haven't yet, please follow us on Discord for any discussion and questions. This is the last week to get our $100 off any football package using football23 as the promo code. If you want to become a premium member of any of those packages, we'd really appreciate all the help. Huge thank you to all the premium members out there supporting us and a huge thank you to all of you listeners out there keeping us going, keeping us motivated and having a blast throughout the 2023 sports seasons. We have a great show for you today because Ralph Michaels is coming on to talk some college football with me and get into some of these wonderful games. Now, there's not any huge matchups this week, but that doesn't mean we can't bet on these games and try to find some angles that might be profitable for this upcoming weekend. Before Ralph comes on, I mentioned last week we're going to start doing three podcasts once in a while. I thought this would be the week to do it, but one of our guests actually had a late cancellation due to, well, life obligations, which is totally cool. So I realized I could pretty much fit everything into this podcast without it going too long. So we're going to just have our guest this week on Wednesday at 1 p.m., like we always do. No Thursday 1 p.m. guest, and we'll always have our free picks Friday at 11 a.m. to replace Better Odds Sports Betting. That is 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. So make sure you tune in for that. Our football free picks were on fire last week, and our Refuse to Lose teaser definitely won. So real quick, I wanted to mention about the Circa Millions. There's about 5,200 entrants in there, and only 140 of them... uh, got all five right. So if you think about a five game parlay, you know, it's all about percentages, right? If everything's equal, well, these are very stale lines. So they're very close to 50, 50, I guess. Um, I found a few edges, but just in general, if you use this example for uh, what a payout should be in a five game parlay with the amount of people that made it, uh, you you take 140 divided by 5,200, you have 2.7%. So you take 97.3% divided by 2.7% and you get 36 to 1, right? So that's really what it took for five people to hit all five NFL games 
selecting from the full slate of all games this week. And this is a bigger week than with bye weeks, right? Because you get every single game. Well, five game parlays pay 25 to one. So in a sense, if you could use this example, just to look at the amount of VIG uh, or the amount of percentage times that the books are winning on these five game parlays, obviously this is just one sample, but hey, at least it's 5,200 people doing it. Uh, it's like 11 to one, <laughs> you know, it's like 11 out of 36, right? Uh, the proper payment is 25 to one if you do the math on it, but it's like for a weekend like this, their VIG was close to 33% on this thing. <laughs> you know, that's how much uh, they make off parlays. And that's why you see these books really, really advertise parlays uh, and promote them when somebody actually wins it. I guarantee you they're taking a hell of a lot more money in than they are actually paying out. So I wanted to just quick do that math on there. I found it funny that uh, I could actually use this as an example on how five game parlays uh, rarely do hit in general. Now I'm one of those people preaching hard against playing a bunch of parlays. Now, when I say if you're a serious sports better, you don't do parlays that large. Uh, at least there's certain reasons to do two game parlays and you can get out of bets and middle bets and tease your way out of bets with teasers. So there is reasons for them. But in my opinion, when you start going three, four five games, you should just have a small little account that you can afford to do it. that you can kiss goodbye as recreational money. The serious sports better isn't sitting there dumping a bunch of money into four, five, six game parlays. Do I play them? Hell yeah, I do. <laughs> Once in a while, I'll have a week and I got to feel decent about it. I'll throw 20 bucks on it. You know, Not, no big deal. You know, and so that's the fun part of sports betting, kind of playing the lottery. Is it profitable for the casino? And is the casino happy that I'm doing that? Yes, sure they are. But they're also a lot happier when people are putting hundreds of dollars, if not thousands, into some of these crazy parlays that people are blowing their money on. So I just wanted to mention that and how important it is to have bankroll management and to think about what your goals really are. If you're just looking to blow through the season and kiss your money away, you know, you can do whatever you want. But this show is for learning about sports betting. It's to make people better, better. And it's about sharing information that I work hard at getting to try to make myself a better, better. You know, that's why the whole reason I started this show is because I just want to share my research and why I think some of the numbers or situations or spots or whatever will give you an edge on the next game that we talk about. Also, before Ralph comes on, I want to give you a play, a future play, which I don't throw a massive three, four stars on futures either, but I think this one might have a little value still. And I got to tell you, I am very impressed with Notre Dame. Now, it was a tough situation going to NC State. They played in the rain. But, I mean, they won with really throwing the ball in the rain. I mean, as soon as NC State got a little close, they just kind of turned it on again. You know, they whooped them. And what's funny about Notre Dame, they're done with a quarter of their season already. They played three out of the 12 games. 
But here's the thing. Their schedule is not all that scary to me. They could make the national championship or the playoffs looking at these numbers. They have Central Michigan next. Massive spread. They have Ohio State, which is the scary one. They have Ohio State at home. Okay? At home. Ohio State's not looking all that sharp. And when you have a quarterback like Sam Hartman, he is way more experienced than what Ohio State's throwing out there. Not to mention a Heisman favorite himself. But not just that. You're a little worried about Ohio State's passing game. These guys on defense are absolute beasts for Notre Dame. DJ Brown, Xavier Watts, Thomas Harper. You know, their secondary is absolutely fantastic. And you're going to see those guys, or some of them at least, playing on Sunday. You know, I, I think Notre Dame is a sneaky chance. And here's the rest of their schedule. They have Ohio State at home. At Duke's a little dangerous. That could be a letdown if they do win. But I will say that that Duke win over Clemson was a heck of a lot more about Clemson than it was about Duke. Then they have at Louisville, which doesn't scare me at all. Some people are high on Louisville. I am not. Then they get USC. But USC, they get them at home. Okay, so think about that. Pittsburgh at home. Then at Clemson, and Clemson's not looking that great. They don't scare me. They play Sam Hartman's old team, Wake Forest. You know Sam Hartman's going to be motivated then if hopefully last rating injuries, then they finish out at Stanford, who looks like uh, a divisional two team or a group of five team, I guess, to say the least. You know, Stanford got absolutely their doors blown off. But USC doesn't scare me as much when you have those cornerbacks, right? I would hate to play USC if you're any team, but geez, you have the cornerbacks to defend. You got a pass rush there with Notre Dame. This ain't nearly the schedule that Michigan has, Ohio State has, you know, and it's a good enough schedule to possibly weather one of these losses, not have to play a conference championship game and still get to the destination, still get to the college football playoffs. And that's what I like about this. I think Notre Dame can make it into the college football playoffs even if they lose to Ohio State, even if they lose to USC, even if they lose to Duke or Clemson. They can only afford one loss. But if you look, it's going to be Georgia, penciled in most likely. Probably one team from the Big Ten. And then the rest is absolutely up in the air. Maybe Texas. Texas can falter. There's Kansas State still there. Oklahoma's still there. They can bang each other up a little bit. USC doesn't have it easy in that tougher Pac-12. This could be a, an easy situation where Notre Dame makes it. I like Notre Dame at plus four set, uh, 470, and you can find that on FanDuel to make the college football playoffs. We'll do that for a half star. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? <laughs> Not kidding yet. All right, let's get into a little NFL week two slate. And we'll start away with the Thursday game. And now remember, I'm going to give you a couple plays. There's a couple premium that I'm not going to give you. I'll just kind of avoid the game, just say a couple quick things about them. And then we'll move on. But last week was a great week for me in the NFL, up 10 units. So 
let's uh, see what we can drum up for this week. The Vikings at the Eagles. Eagles minus seven, total is 49. The Eagles are kind of banged up. Uh, the Vikings coming on in. This was about an eight-point spread in some books. This thing quickly went down to seven uh, due to the Eagles' woes and the fact that the Vikings looked a lot better than they did, than the Tampa Bay did that beat them. But, I mean, that doesn't really move my power ratings because they move the ball against Tampa Bay. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't still say they're one of the greater teams. I think they're kind of average from last year and uh, we're lucky in a bunch of one-score games and I don't I don't need to pound that in the ground anymore. I've been talking about that all summer long. Kind of sick about the cold conversation in the summer now. I just want to see what these teams are really... It's overreaction week in the NFL, and uh, you got to be a little careful. I'm not going to overreact that the Eagles should have almost lost to the Patriots in a weird situation. You know, Super Bowl hangover and all, and they still cover the game. New England should have covered, but it was one of those situations. I think the Eagles know they played bad. Now, my number is Eagles minus 7.25. I mean, I think that's a solid number because I still have the Eagles as one of the best teams, top four maybe, right now in the league. I think I am top two last week, but I'll, I'll make them top four. I think I had to bump the Niners up a little bit. But still, um, situation where I could see Cousins completely blowing this and I can see them getting boat, boat raced out of this, you know, especially when you have the depth that the Eagles have. Now, Christian Ellis is looking to start for N'Kobe Dean and Sean Bradley's on IR. But they still have Hassan Reddick on the other side there. Zach Cunningham on the weak side. James Bradbury should play. And it's all about their defensive line. Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter. Look how good they did last week. Fletcher Cops is questionable, but so what? Throwing Carter or Davis to replace him. you know, Or Milton Williams or Derek Barnett. You know, it, it makes it a lot easier on a linebacker when your defense is so good that it, it allows them to make ta- tackles, your defensive front, I should say. So I'm not super worried. It's still a little early for me to worry about a few injuries here. But I'm, it's not enough for me to take the Eagles. This thing drops to six, then maybe we're talking. It's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen for a reason. So let's move on. We'll have find a prop play for our TikTok props that are 2-0 and so far in the NFL for Thursday night football. Chiefs versus Jags. Now, as I was tweeting, Chiefs, you need Chris Jones back. He's kind of, I think Chris Jones went to the game and sat in the suite just to watch how bad that defensive line was going to be, which they were bad. And it was probably just uh, having a few beers and just enjoying the hell out of it because he knew he was going to get some sort of payday. Well, he got a one-year big deal. But still, you know, it was enough to push the line back up to three. That was kind of around the two and a half to three range. And then the Kels news is still questionable, but people assume it. So my think my thought process on this line is that as soon as the Kels news comes in, some books are going to kind of shift to three and a half. So here's what you want to do. In my opinion, this should be a two-point game, 2.25. I'm lower on the Chiefs than the market. I think Jacksonville's a very good team. Now, Jacksonville's a little bit injured themselves, right? A little bit injured. They lost their guard, Brandon Scherf. But the Jaguars always play quickly out of the shotgun. And the, Trevor Lawrence gets the ball 
out very fast. Uh, I think he's one of the fastest releases, uh, at least fastest seconds after the snap to get that ball gone. And that's good. And so it doesn't really make the offensive line as important if they're doing that. I'm not sure if Kansas City has the defense either way to stop the quick stuff. They will try to stack the box. Maybe Trevor Lawrence opens up a little bit to Calvin Ridley or one of those good receivers there, you know. But in my opinion, I kind of like Jacksonville a little bit more. But you're going to see this shoot at three and a half when it's for sure. And then I think it starts coming back. I think you're going to get a line around minus three, minus 120. By it's all closed, when it's all said and done. And then you'll be stuck with the three at even money plus 100. I personally would take three and a half, even if I have to pay minus 115 in this situation with the Jaguars. So once that thing gets up to three and a half, you see 115, probably good to fire on that one. Next game. The LA Raiders versus the Buffalo Bills. And this is going to be a very large survivor play. But this certainly worries me a little bit. The Bills, I was low on in the beginning of the season. And it kind of showed why. Now Josh Allen threw a bunch of picks. I think they win that game if they don't throw all those picks. Some of those picks were like punts though. But I mean, throw a, I mean you could have got first downs if you toned it down a little bit. Allen, I, I mean, they blew that game. They should have beat the Jets. But shoulda, woulda, coulda, you know, does that make them try to win a little bit harder? Maybe. And the Raiders are coming off a win, so that's what everyone's thinking. But, hey, you know, Raiders are big underdogs here. They're going to come in and give everything they have to the Bills. And I'm not just, I'm not 100% sure that Bills defense is great yet. You know, uh, I'm not. The Bills had 314 yards against the Jets. The Jets still had 289. They ran for 172 yards. What do you think Josh Jacobs is going to do over there? You know, I think he's going to feast a little bit. Devontae Adams still can come in and play, you know. He can ball out and be a threat. (laughs) I mean, to be honest with you, everyone's going to be taking these bills, and they've seen it happen for years. This could be the year you don't want to do that. Now, Jimmy G is going to be playing. He's a good dog to be on. Not saying I'm going to bet it, because to be honest with you, my power numbers really hated the Raiders coming in. I was really down on the Raiders, and I was on them last week, but maybe I was down a little bit too much. I don't know. Um, my, my adjustment doesn't get it down to seven, although it's still not at 10 for me either. It's in the middle. So if you want to see my power ratings, we did post them on our website under bets, info, and trends. You can see our power ratings for college and NFL football updated every single week, but just kind of warning people about Survivor. It's not a sure thing here. And one of the ones I might actually try to avoid is this Bills game. Next, we have the Seattle Seahawks versus the Lions. Well, when I saw this line go up to six, I was like, man, Seahawks looking really good here. Well, I look, two offensive linemen are hurt for the Seahawks. You know, that's not good. Injury report for the Seahawks. And I think a couple of guys in the secondary, too. I'll just pull it up. Yeah, Devin Witherspoon and Jamal Adams. Questionable. Witherspoon was their top draft pick. Adams out there. Highly paid safety. Charles Cross at tackle and Abraham Lucas are the two offensive linemen that are questionable. Week to week with turf toe. So one's probably out. Uh, Lucas hasn't shown any damage. Dealing with soreness to his patella tendon. 
maybe one of them plays, maybe Lucas plays, but that worries me a little bit, especially with the secondary there against a great team like the Lions, especially a great offensive team. Ooh, that's ugly already starting for Seattle. So with an injury adjustment, you might have to take this up to six and a half. I'm staying away from it until I get further information on this. But I mean, to be honest with you, my power numbers have Seattle more of a 3.5 point dog in Detroit, not six. We'll watch this one as well. Next game. The Ravens versus the Bengals. The Bengals minus three and a half, total 46 and a half now. The Ravens side is plus three and a half, minus 118. Bengals Bengals have handled the Ravens in the past, but they really didn't look good against the Ravens in the playoffs. Remember that 14-point swing on the goal line fumble? Sure, the Ravens remember that. Unfortunately, their memory would need to kick in a little bit harder when they're hurt. <laughs> Uh, the Ravens are a little banged up themselves too. And this is welcome to the NFL. You know, the, the the conversations around betting, especially over the last eight years or so in the NFL, has really changed to who you got behind these guys, you know? Who are some of the ones that could make up for some of these injuries? And Baltimore Ravens lost J.K. Dobbins. I wasn't that high on him. And they have Justice Hill and uh, Gus Edwards is good. Melvin Gordon looks like he'll be creeping on in now. <laughs> I think he just got re-signed now. So Melvin Gordon's good. So I'm not worried about that one as much as I'm worried about Marcus Williams being out. You know, that, that hurts a little bit on the safety. Marlon Humphrey on the corner. And then you still have his safety net, Mark Andrews, that might not play. You have Ronnie Stanley that is an offensive tackle that uh, will miss at least a week. <laughs> and Tiger Linderbaum, uh, their center sprained left ankle and expect to be out week two. So they're massively banged up, but the Bengals look so bad. Is that going to be enough? I don't know. I mean, without the injuries, my number on this game is Cincinnati minus 3.75 with the injuries probably shoots it all the way up to six. So maybe it would be, but you know, Cincinnati, not exactly uh Looking good so far from the start, especially when Burrow was so rusty. But I expect them to fix it over in the Bengals. Chargers versus Titans. Uh, Chargers laying road chalk, minus three. It's at minus 115, total 45.5. Well, the Chargers looked really good against Miami, but you could, laying three points with the Chargers against like a meddling team like the Titans doesn't sound appetizing. As a matter of fact, I like the Titans a little bit more. I, I lean them at the three. I'm kind of waiting to see what happens. The problem for the Titans is that they probably didn't deserve the cover last week. They did kick the field goal, but the Saints handled them pretty well. And I was low on the Saints in general this year. So that gives me a little concern. The Chargers, very powerful team. And sometimes they can just go in and whip people up. Now, I don't know if the Titans really face that much of a challenge on the passing game like they will against the Chargers. So, you know, this could be a situation where the Chargers go up there and eat. And I I know people are saying travel spot, but the, I, it really negates it with the Chargers, even though it's a West team going out East on an early game because they don't have much of a home field advantage. They kind of look forward to the travel out in Chargerville. So, uh Situation where I have this exactly at three anyway, my power ratings. Uh, 
probably going to eventually stay away from this. But I, I mean, just by the numbers, I would lean to the Titans. But it's certainly a worrisome game. And I'm not sure if the Titans are much of a comeback team. You know, uh, if the Chargers got a good lead on them, I don't know if the Titans can make it happen. Then you have my Bears at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, Bears looking absolutely awful. The Buccaneers won the game, but looked pretty bad against the Vikings. Well, I mean, preseason, I probably would have favored the Bears in this matchup if I was getting three. But, I mean, I I don't know what I saw last week. I I imagine some of it has to get fixed. But if you're betting the Bears, you're betting that they fixed it. You're betting that they looked at the film and they fixed it completely. Because power rating-wise, I have it minus 3.25. So I'm very close to the spread. But, I mean, are you going to... Are you going to really think that Justin Fields can throw down the field now? Because that's the book on him. Spy him, don't let him run the ball, and make him throw down the field, and you might be able to get some interceptions. Baker Mayfield, probably thinking pretty happy, though, and fat and happy from that win. Bears needing this game to go to Tampa to try to just redeem themselves a little bit. Even though I'm at minus 3.25, I will lean the Bears. I expect them to be somewhat better, but I sure as heck am worried about it. I was hoping that this would be three and a half, but didn't come to three and a half. This might be one that you just have to hold your nose and trust in Justin Fields to, you know, get some of those pass plays down the field, play a lot better. The offensive line needs to be better. The off the defensive line has to be better. The Packers just schemed all over them. But the good news is Tampa Bay doesn't have a good coach and the Packers do. If that's the case, Two bad teams. You always take the dog in that situation. Next, you have the Packers versus the Falcons. Falcons and Packers are laying two at Atlanta. A little bit of an overreaction line, in my opinion. I think the Falcons probably should be favored at minus one or so here. But you're in the dead zone. And if the Falcons do fall behind, they aren't going to be a good catch-up team, being that they're a rush team only. And that situation would make the Packers kind of be able to figure them out and stuff them and maybe pick some of those passes if Ritter's trying to catch up you know this is a live betting situation this is a great live betting situation because if the Packers are winning by seven or more points bet the Packers to cover it's probably going to be minus three or something right minus three and a half even if the Falcons are winning or keeping it really close in the game then they're going to eventually wear down that Packers defensive line in my opinion, and then the Falcons would be a good live bet. The Texans hosting the Colts. This is close to pick them. The Texans are plus one right now. It went up a little bit, then some money came in on the Texans. Now, the Texans are a little bit injured. There's a couple guys that I don't like to see out, uh, an offensive lineman. I think it's Fant. Uh, Let me just go to their injury. Yeah, George Fant is questionable. So that worries me a little bit, too. And Hassan Ridgeway, the defensive tackle, is on IR, unfortunately. But there's a bunch of other guys, Trestle, John Mechie, Jimmy Ward, uh, Blake Cashman, uh, Jalen Petrie. And he was literally kept overnight for observation, so he's highly questionable. So I'm a little worried about that. But, I mean, the Texans tied this last game, and then they won outright against the Colts and if you look at these two teams 
The Texans improved their defense and their offense stinks, even though they have a pretty good throwing quarterback. But the Colts only have really Richardson, right? With the Jonathan Taylor holds out. You know, Zach Moss is questionable. They heard a running back in Evan Hull. You know, they, their offensive line is also bad. You know, you can't say that they have a good offensive line. It's going to be up to Richardson's arms, right? Throwing the ball. And both of these teams are really close in stats from last week. And they probably both played capital teams. Colts against Jaguars and Texans at the Ravens, right? So, I mean, it's it's almost like you have two bad teams close to pick them. A little bit of home field advantage. I think that kind of favors Houston, in my opinion, right? Houston at least has a few guys to throw to in Robert Woods. Nico Collins, and maybe John Mechie comes back. Xavier Hutchinson. Dalton Schultz was their pickup this year in tight end. Indianapolis, if they could throw the ball, they'd certainly want to get it to Michael Pittman. But then you have Alec Pierce, Josh Downs. You know, they don't have a good running back there. I like the Texans. I took the Texans at, Texans at minus one, a bad number, but I still like them. I think they win the game outright. There's a couple injuries that I definitely want them to get past. I'm really hoping that their offensive line comes up, but they do have a quarterback that can throw the ball a little bit. You know, I, I don't love C.J. Stroud yet. I don't know what he's going to be, but he's a better passer than Anthony Richardson. I know that. You know, so I'll take that in that situation, especially when I think that The Texans' defense can stop the run. They still have Sheldon Rankins there. They still have Will Anderson at defensive end. Great draft pick. Uh, Malik Collins steps in for Hassan Ridgeway. You know, I'm not super worried about the arm of Anthony Richardson. This is a home game for the Texans. We're going to take them for two stars. Oh, yeah! Next game. The Niners at the Rams. Rams are plus seven and a half now. Totals 44.5. If you notice, I haven't really been jumping on a lot of totals yet. You know, uh, it's, I think these totals have gotten a little bit sharper in the NFL over the years. But this is not a precursor because I'm probably not taking this total either. <laughs> I don't know what to make of some of these defenses is the reason why. But what I say is the Niners showed a great defense last week. But we don't know what's real on the Rams. Was it Seattle or was it being just that bad in the second half? Or is the Rams defense actually decent so far? You know, what I do know is this is a division game and you have a division dog of a team that won the Super Bowl a year ago. Uh, Well, a year and a half ago, obviously, but still uh, being disrespected at home after coming out and beating Seattle. That's some momentum to ride on. The San Francisco 49ers beat a Pittsburgh team that destroyed it in the preseason but just couldn't play at all in the regular season. Maybe Brock Purdy is that good. But these two coaches know how to play each other. I mean, this is kind of the whole key factor in this. And they still have Matt Stafford, and they certainly shown that that Puka Nukwa, (laughs) however you say his name, can play a little ball. I mean, I'm not. I wouldn't start him in fantasy this week or nothing. But man, they do have a few uh, 
wide receivers there in L.A. You know? Do you still have Van Jefferson? You have 2-2 Atwell look pretty good. And the Puka Nakua did great. Demarcus Robinson's there from Kansas City. You know? They can make it happen. Tyler Higby, Matthew Stafford threw some dimes that last game. And I got to tell you, Kyron Williams, their running rookie running back, looked pretty good. So just kind of interesting to me that this is just this big of a spread. I think that there's a little bit of overreaction in the Niners still. This is overreaction week. You know, Niners destroy Pittsburgh. They're making excuses that Seattle's not good. So all of a sudden the Rams aren't good either. You have Matt Stafford there. Played a great game last week. Seven and a half points is what you're giving me. That seems to be a pretty tall order. So in this situation, I took the eight, and it's down to seven and a half. But I certainly would not mind taking seven and a half either just to stay above the seven. In my opinion, this is a a strong game for both teams. They need it being a divisional game. You know Aaron Donald's going to be motivated there. He's going to be wanting to get his hands on Brock Purdy, who did get a little bit beat up last week by uh, T.J. Watt. You know, the Rams held their defense well, held Seattle 180 total yards, 95 in passing, 85 on the ground. I'll take a dog over 7.5 that still has a few good players on their team from the Super Bowl era. I think eventually the Rams will fade out later into the season, but look at the coach, Sean McVay, dog by seven and a half points at home to a, a rival in the 49ers. I'm going to take the Rams here plus the eight points for two stars. Where's my money, bitch? Next game, the Giants at the Cardinals. Oh, my goodness. This is disgusting. Uh, The Giants looked absolutely terrible last week. The Cardinals actually looked pretty good on defense last week. But, man, it was also about Washington, too. Uh, You expect them to bounce back the Giants, but they're crossing the country and playing a non-divisional foe. And I saw a tweet out from Las Vegas Chris that said, uh, this is a pretty big sample size as well. NFL winless non-divisional teams, so that would be both of them, facing each other. The dog is 69%, 46-21 ATS. I'm guessing he's going back the last 67 games. So the two of them are the Tennessee Titans and the Arizona Cardinals. So you'd kind of look towards the Cardinals if you believe in that trend. I think the Cardinals didn't look as bad as people thought. I didn't think they looked that good, but... I didn't think they looked as bad as folks were saying before the season that they're tanking or something. I never believed that for one second. I already had them pretty low in my power ratings, but I didn't have them as low as the market did. You know? So, uh, situation plus five and a half. The Giants are definitely looking for a bounce back here, but my number is not five and a half. It's 4.25. No key numbers there. You know, there's nothing I can do with 4.25 to 5.5. I mean, I wish it was 6.5 to 5.5. I would take the 6.5 all day or 7, of course, but we're not in that situation, and there's reason that this thing's not at 6. There's reason for it. 
Cardinals are not as bad as people think, and the Giants have issues. They have receiver issues. They don't have the same receivers really going at it. Saquon Barkley didn't practice much. You know, they, they really looked out of practice coming into that week, kind of like the Bears looked, kind of like Seattle looked. These three teams looked completely out of practice. Lean Arizona, for sure, in this one. Surely wouldn't shock me if I got to the window on this at some point. Uh, Jets versus Cowboys, minus nine, total 39. This is just a sad game for Jets fans. They have a short week here, and I wanted to play the Cowboys so bad in this situation against Aaron Rodgers, but unfortunately that didn't happen. We circled it. Will Hill talked about this in the podcast as well. Uh, It's just a terrible spot for the Jets. They got the win, which is what you wanted, but now the line adjusted from like five, six points when I only downgraded three points, yet I was lower on the market, in the market, on the Jets in general, right? So I was higher on their defense, but now that it's passed, now now that everyone's accounting Rodgers for five to seven points rather than the three to four points that I adjusted, it kind of makes it so the Jets where I had that is are where that I had them anyway or close to it anyway. I mean, my number's minus seven and a half for this game, and you're at minus nine. Another dead zone. Just like between four and six, you're between seven and ten here, right? So I can't do anything with it. Now, the people are going to search for eight and a halfs and try to tease Dallas down, and I totally get that, and that's absolutely fine. But in this situation, it'd probably be Dallas or nothing still for me at the nine just because – the Jets came off that emotional win, and this is one game they can't lose. The, the Cowboys didn't have to do anything last week against the Giants. They walked through the Giants. It almost makes me wonder if they're going to really put on a show with their offense you know, coming this week. So even though my number is minus 7.5, I'm going to give you a lean, a good lean, actually, to the Cowboys covering the 9 points. And, hey, I laid it last week with the Ravens at 9.5. That didn't bother me. I laid it with 9.5. I took them in the contest at minus 10. That ended up covering. It was actually more dicey than I wanted it to be with all the Ravens injuries that popped up and the two fumbles by Lamar Jackson, but it, they still covered. You know, so it just could be one of those situations where you just don't see how the Jets cover. So um, I guess one reason I didn't take it is because I do respect that Jets defense a lot. You know, maybe they do make it a little tough on Dak. You know, maybe Sauce Gardner does jump a few of those routes. But man, if they're just going to be doing that like the Buffalo did, that would be awful coaching for the Cowboys. And it's McCarthy there, and someone I don't highly respect, yet he's not my worst coach on the book as well. So remember, when the Cowboys did win, they won because of defense. If I'm the Jets, I ugly this game up, and I run the ball, and I try to just get out of there uh, with, a, with another ugly win. Because the Jets, if they want to win, they're going to have to ugly it up. I'll tell you this, I'll lean to the under 39. I know it's in a dome and everything, but geez. You know, maybe maybe the Jets do ugly it up and run the ball, and uh, the defense get does give Dak a few issues. Next, you have the Cardinals versus the Broncos. Broncos minus three point five. Total is thirty eight point five. I have a premium play on this, so I'm not going to say much, but I'll say something bad about both teams. 
Washington's win was a little fraudulent versus uh, Arizona. They're kind of lucky they got there. Uh, Sam Howell did not look that good to me, and they really took the ball out of his hands the second half. So all the stuff that Rivera said about Sam Howell is kind of like, what? <laughs> you know, you didn't even trust him in the second half. And you probably have to feel pretty good that uh, you barely outgained this team and ended up winning when you had two turnovers, three to two, three turnovers, three to two turnovers. So just one of those situations where that but looked bad. But the Denver, did that offense look good to you? No. And it was against the Raiders. And I don't think the Raiders D is all that great. So you have an ugly Denver team laying over three and a half points too. I'll just leave it there. Uh, next game, Miami versus the Patriots. This is going to be a fun game and a fun teaser leg for the Patriots. I think that the Patriots uh, might be the most popular teaser leg of the week. The Dolphins coming up a big win, fat and happy, coming into Foxborough now. Uh, always just check the weather in Foxborough. There's a couple wet games, though, in Florida. You got Jacksonville and Tampa. That will be look like a, a wet game. But, um, yeah, I, I think that the Patriots, it's just going to be partly cloudy, 10-mile-per-hour winds. That can change quickly in New England. I don't know. I mean, I, I know Miami looks really good on offense when they need to, but New England also has played with this team for a few years now. The Patriots got the last win at home, but that was without Tua on January 1st. And then the Dolphins beat them 20-7 to in September, but that was with, obviously, the Matt Patricia uh, non-offense, right? Offense of constant sorrow. So it does change with Bill O'Brien. You saw them rough up the Eagles a little bit, but they're still dogs here, so the market doesn't completely trust them. So is this really an overreaction here? I mean, to be honest with you, my numbers, I, I, give, I do give the Patriots a little bit of home field advantage, probably a little bit more than other teams. But I still have them only a, a a 0.75 point dog instead of a two point dog or 2.5 point dog. But this is going to be a very popular teaser leg. So stay tuned for that. Next game, Monday, we have two games. We have the Saints and Panthers and Browns and Steelers. So Saints and Panthers, Panthers plus three, total is 40. I'm not going to lie, my Saints numbers, I, I'm low on the Panthers, but I remember being on the Panther or on the Saints at home at the end last year and the Saints had them and the Panthers drove down the field and won the game I think partially because of four down territory and just kind of stumped the Saints there and now the Panthers have a completely new team with some issues on injuries as well cornerback J.C. Horn who was highly touted last year, expected to miss multiple weeks due to a hamstring injury. DJ Shark is still questionable. He missed last game. And then um, the injuries that they had kind of coming in as well with a couple linemen. Um, Marquise Haynes, the linebacker, not that big. So the Panthers still have their issues, but the Saints are uh, you know a formidable team, and you have Derek Carr playing with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, and they barely got by the Titans at home, and now they have to go on the road. Uh, laying road chalk of minus three and a half in a division game is not something I really look forward to doing, even though my number is a little bit bigger. I think my number on this game is minus uh, 5.25. Uh, but once again, you're between the three and a half and the five and a half on that one. So not a, a great look for me, but I would certainly lean the Saints in this situation. 
And finally, the last game, we have the Steelers against the Browns. Steelers are plus two home dogs, 39.5. Well, we saw them plus two home dogs last week, but what's real with the Browns? I mean, are the Browns really that good with that new defense? I mean, Jim Schwartz was a master last week, and uh, it made the Bengals look terrible, but they always seem to beat the Bengals. You know, what's real here in this situation? How much is Deshaun Watson going to do? Well, the Steelers have to pick it up as well, and they're not as bad as they look like. You know that. That always happens. This is a divisional game. I expect a a two- to three-point victory on either side. I have the Steelers minus .5, which would put this certainly in teaser land. But uh, I'm staying away from the side completely on this game unless something happens. Maybe I'll have a prop for you coming on next Monday for our TikTok prop plays on this game if I don't choose the other game. That brings us to our refuse to lose teaser that is one and zero from last week. And what we're going to do is tease the Patriots all the way to eight and a half. But we're actually going to do that with the Falcons to plus 7.5. I think that the Falcons can muddy up this game, all right? I think they can make it so Green Bay doesn't look like a bunch of all-stars like they did against the Bears last week, who they've owned, unfortunately, in Soldier Field for all these years. Low total in that Atlanta game certainly helps, and the fact that you have Bill Belichick's defense certainly helps on the Patriots side of things. So Patriots to 8.5 or the Falcons to 7.5, or eight, now that's at two, for three stars. Now, let's bring on our guest, Mr. Ralph Michaels from Wager Talk, to talk some college football. College football is rolling, and that means you need the best in the industry to come on and discuss another huge weekend in football. Very excited to welcome back Mr. Ralph Michaels from Wager Talk to the Odds Breakers. You can follow Ralph on Twitter at CalSportsLV. Ralph, thanks so much for coming back on the show, my man. We are... Week three already. It's almost like the season's just blowing by, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, we see more and more conference games now. So an exciting time when when you see these SEC and ACTC teams matched up. So looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. It's a completely different story with conference. You can have teams that were just good at the non-conference and they just go back to kind of what they were. I think Maryland's done that to us a few times over the years, uh, trying to trick us and, and pretend they were really Big Ten contenders from time to time. But you, you got to sniff that out, and that's what uh, you're so great at doing. And uh, we do have a couple conference games, and hopefully we can get into a few of those. I'm very excited for that. But, you know, before we get into that, we missed our we didn't get a chance to do our future bets. We were both very busy. Chris was very busy. So, I mean, off the top of your head, do you have any future bets going that you partook in that you like or dislike for the college football 2023? Well, my top two were Louisville to win the MAC, their their division in the MAC, excuse me, Toledo to win their division in the MAC, and Louisville over seven wins. You know, the Louisville I bet early at minus 148, it actually went to eight wins. So, uh, you know, I got a great number on them, obviously. Their win against Georgia Tech wasn't great, and their Murray State win, you know, well, we don't know what to take of it. I think they handle Indiana this week and have Boston College. So off to a nice start. Uh, the one that I'm certainly glad I missed, Kiev, and 
I mean, it, not only for me is it the most shocking thing in sports. I mean, really, the sports world is what Sanders has done at Colorado, you know, and, and the way his son has looked. Uh, I meant to bet the under right when it come out. It moved so fast that I decided to not bet it. Uh, but we may talk about them a little later. But I have never moved a team 10 points in my power ratings after two games. And realistically, I would have moved them 16 points. But I have a rule that I will not move a team no matter how far I am off more than five points each week just to make sure I'm not overreacting. But uh, again, I was 15 points wrong on the Colorado Buffaloes, as as a lot of people were. So, so Ralph, we, <laughs> you and I and other cappers that's been around a long time, you, we know that. You know, I mean, over, an adjustment of five points is massive, and that means you're massively off, which is almost like a you feel bad about that almost. But what I did say about Colorado, as I said, I just don't think we knew where to start them. I, you know, I, and that's the truth. We just didn't know where to start them. Nobody did. And people try to feed off each other information. We knew what happens normally when there's a new coach and a new team. And it just, he bucked all the trends. And I moved him 13 points, buddy. Uh, that was after week one. I, I think I moved him an extra three or four after last week. So just to catch up, uh, it, they were absolutely amazing. But now, you know, I, I try, I find myself being a DN fan. I tried to not like him and it didn't work. He's just got too much positive energy around him and he's just too exciting to hate, you know, and, and the fact that everyone was against him in, in our community makes me almost like him more. Well, yeah, you know, and let's remember, you know, uh, he did find it. Jackson State, he had a 10 and 2 team. His son was recruited by many Power Five teams, you know, and and played at Jackson State last year. And then Travis Hunter, I mean, shit, put his name in the in the Heisman right now, playing both ways. He had what 90 plays, 90 plays played against TCU, which was amazing because he was still the best offensive receiver and the best defender on the field. So that's a five-star recruit that played at Jackson State. So he didn't get all the hype that he should have. So again, you know. You make what you make. Uh, he he has completely changed the way the transfer portal will be forever looked at, and I think it opened up a lot of coaches. And you know, beating TCU is one thing, but you know, having the OC that they did from Kent State and playing at the pace of play that they played, and not having mistakes playing that fast was the most amazing thing for me. No offensive line penalties. The guys were set where they knew how to be set. To get all that together and look as good as they did fundamentally shocked me more than winning and then beating Nebraska as well last week. Uh, absolutely. They're, they're, they're rather buttoned up. Now, there was mistakes, but Shadur Sanders just was able to overcome them. You did see some, maybe some maybe a missed assignment block or, or a penalty, but it wasn't nearly as much as I expected. I expected more mistakes. I expected more penalties. I probably, if you would have set the over under a number of penalties, 12, 13, I probably would have went under or over and lost it. You know, it's just one of those situations where they look much better. And you look at these college teams that's been around a long time, they're making more mistakes. So massive credit to Deion Sanders and Hunter. I mean, I, I, this is absolutely preposterous to say, but can we get another baseball situation with a, a guy playing both offense and defense, like like the Shohei Otani with Hunter coming in the NFL? I mean, that, that can't happen in my brain, but it would be exciting if something like that would would uh, come to fruition yeah you know I, I think i think if he's talented enough I, again i'm not a good college scout i can't say this i don't know if he's a better receiver or better db 
But I think that there's some NFL coaches that would let him play DB and use him as a fourth receiver at times. You know, it just depends on how your team is set. The NFL is likely not going to do that because because the physicality and the number of plays you take. But I could see them having a package or several packages for him, at least on one side of the ball, where he's not playing both positions straight up, but, you know, full full offense or full defense, and maybe being in 15 or 20% of the plays for the other. You know, if you got a talent and the guy wants to do it, he's physically proved that he can do it in college football for several years, why not? Well, that's very true. And thinking back, I'm pretty sure Dion had a few of those packages out when in his days, especially with the Cowboys. I'm not sure so much with the Niners, but he definitely did with the Cowboys. And uh, that was fun to watch. So we'll see what kind of brews up from Colorado. But I guess that leads me to my next question. What is your biggest surprise so far for two, for uh, college football 2023? And I think we might have mentioned it with Colorado. But if we already did, then let's go to another one. Yeah, you know, Colorado clearly is. You know, I, um, again, I've never seen a situation like that. Um, Houston, to me, is is one of them. Um, the fall off of the Houston Cougars watching them, and yeah, yes, they won, uh, they beat you at UTSA in the opener, but that was because UTSA quarterback threw three horrible picks, should have never even been in that game. I did, I did play against them last week. You know, and cashed with the Rice game, a game they lost in multiple overtimes. But, you know, I'm like, I'm accustomed to seeing Houston play good defense. And, you know, hell, they're allowing 450 yards per game to UTSA and Rice, two teams. Imagine what happens when they have TCU this week and then they go to Texas Tech and play West Virginia, Texas, Kansas State, and, and Baylor, and they're up to the Big Ten. So, to me, Houston is a big fade team. Uh, hopefully we get a few more weeks of line value where people perceive Houston as a better team that's one and one. And even if they lose to TCU and beat Sam Houston, that puts them at two and two when they travel to Texas Tech. So uh, I have Houston down as much as, as most teams from where I had them at the start of the year. No doubt. And that makes, I, I mean, there's quite a few of them. Uh, Houston's a great pick for that. And I had to downgrade him as well. Um, it's funny you mentioned Baylor because I was kind of thinking that one maybe too. Uh, I could not believe they lost to Texas State that first game, and uh, they blew it against Utah. Utah without the quarterback, and man, I had a pl- personal play on Baylor last week. I thought it was just a sneaky spot for them, and it pushed at seven. And there was seven and a half, but I just kind of took it late. I was like, you know what? I should have took this earlier. I thought to myself, I'm like, I'm gonna do a personal play, tweet it out, but I ended up pushing. Well, bad beat most likely they're up seven with a couple minutes left but you know they're still kind of I, th- I thought Dave Aranda's team was going to be more trajectory up especially his first year and uh instead of trajectory down so I guess I could pick Baylor as well but you can say Clemson's been uh underwhelming you could say that uh even Alabama and Georgia are a little bit underwhelming right now. So there's there's all kinds of little stuff popping up. But I think it really makes for a great story this year. Wouldn't it be great to see, like, Notre Dame, FSU, uh, uh, Texas, and... You, USC? You want USC in there? Why not? Throw them in there, too. It, <laughs> it'd be fun to see a completely different playoff uh, scenario. I doubt that happens because Georgia's schedule. Uh, but it would be fun to see. It's early. Uh, whatever we talk now, you can see these teams lose later too. So uh, it's 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 fun to watch, and that's why we love college football. But um, l- leading from that question, 
I'm kind of curious uh, what kind of trends might have caught your eye for uh, this season. Uh, well, at least coming into week three, because week three is kind of weird. There's some conference games. There's not. What's really funny, Ralph, is there's no teams that are ranked playing each other. You know, Now, we don't care. We're sports bettors, right? We're getting the same feel. We, we could bet on UMass versus UConn and be fine with it, right? But, you know, just from a general perspective, you know, if you're just a fan of college football, it might be one of those weekends that you do some yard work. For me, I'll be watching the games, but uh, there's got to be some trends or something that you found. Well, Kiev, I want to talk about this, and I'll tweet this chart out later today. Uh, this is updated through this week. You can't watch a college football game without the announcer saying, well, there's so many fewer plays this year and the clock doesn't stop, uh, you know, with the exception of two minutes of the half and the two minutes in the first warning. I went through the last five seasons looking at the first two weeks of games, week zero, week one, and week two. I didn't include the COVID season because there were so many unique teams playing games one or two. But points per game so far this year, 545 Last year, 56.1. Two years ago, 54.5, the exact same number. Three years ago, 55.8. And four years ago, 56.4. So we're only 1.3 points per game fewer than the highest number in the previous five years. Average total has come down. Vegas has made adjustments thinking fewer plays, fewer series. The average totals come down to 53.9. The previous four seasons, 56.1, 56.5, 57, and 58. So while the points per game were almost the same, we've seen a drop of the total of 4.1 points per game from four years ago. Plays per game, 66.2 this year. Last year, 67.8. Two years ago, 67.5. So many coaches were saying, oh my God, we're going to get one or two, or there's going to be three less series per game. There's only been 1.6 plays per game per team fewer than last year and 1.3 plays per game fewer than two years ago. So last year in college football, if you bet every over-under game, 47% went over, 53 under. Two years ago, 42% went over, 58% under. This year, points per game are close and Average total is far different with over four points per off. So far this year, 50.6% of the games have gone over the total. So I think I think we're going to start seeing this with conference play. It's going to affect you more in conference play because there's familiarity, because coaches aren't going to run the ball as fast. They're going to try to be more conservative. So while it started at a 56%, one of the things I look at, I will talk about Florida and, and Tennessee more. I really love playing unders when you had teams that scored um, very well in non-conference games because the Vegas totals are based on what teams did this year. But it's a completely different mindset and game plan when you're playing those first conference games of the season. So uh, to me, I'll be looking at playing unders in these in these type of situations. Wow. So conference plays when you plan firing i love it because 
It makes me feel a little better because I said that I think the book's slightly over-adjusted. I was more around the two, and I said two to three range, but you said it's 4.1, which is interesting. It just makes me think maybe what it's almost bad luck that the overs are only 50.6. I almost think that the overs should be 52% or 53% if if uh, the points were that much off. But, you know, that's obviously the sample size is not that great, being that it's one year. We, we're curious to see how the first three games go every year after this and where the books actually do adjust it. So you wonder if they take it down a little bit as well, but um, no conference play great time to start looking at some of those over unders and maybe lean to the under, especially if some of these teams are just going to run the clock out now a little bit easier as we've seen happen many times in the past with the clock stopping on first down. So love it. What else you got for me? I know you got more Ralph. Yeah, you know, I, I was I was doing some trends and angles looking at some college football situations. So this is not a game too specific, but this is just how teams do as a dog off a loss as a double-digit favorite. So obviously, if you lose as a double-digit favorite, do you think that team is superior and bounces back? Or do you think that carries over to the next week? Well, there are two teams that applies to this year. Buffalo is off a double-digit loss, and they're playing Liberty. And North Texas is off a double-digit loss, and they're playing Louisiana Tech. Those teams going back since 2019 that are off a double-digit loss and are now a dog have gone 40.3% against the spread. So basically a 60% system that's been valid for over the last four years with a very solid sample size it's a fade play. So this system, again, I, I don't have an opinion on either game, but this situation says to fade Buffalo and fade North Texas. Then I took it one step further. You know, this past week, Kiev, we had three teams lose to the FCS, Buffalo, Northern Illinois, and Nevada. Now, FCS upsets used to happen much more infrequently, but we've seen the quality of play in the FCS gets much better. I mean, the Missouri Valley Conference, I would say, is better than the MAC, you know, as far as FCS football goes. We see people like Hunter, a five-star recruit, go play at Jackson State with Deion Sanders. So they're getting many more uh, situations. But this goes all the way back since 2017, when a team like Buffalo, Northern Illinois, and Nevada lose to an FCS team. The next game, they have only gone 37.8% against the spread. So a 62.2% fade. If you're going to lose to an FCS team, there has been a negative carryover. And one more I'll give you. Um, I wanted to look at how teams do uh, by conference. And we know, even though the SEC struggled last week, you know, as far as some of their non-conference games and we saw some teams fall when an sec team since 2017 loses a game as a favorite of seven or more like alabama did some people had the line at six some people had it at seven it was in the database sec teams are 68.3 percent the game after losing a game as a favorite by seven or more so while generally we talked about teams off a double-digit loss as a favorite. That number would even be worse if I took the SEC teams out of it that are a positive. So, again, just some situations to look at. You never want to base a selection on a trend or an angle, 
But it's great to put a check mark either on the team you're looking for or against you to look at all the positives and negatives when you're looking at trends and angles. And then you start looking at matchups and then you start looking at situational handicapping and then looking at technical data with stats. Just a piece of the puzzle when you're handicapping. It certainly is. And it's paid dividends for people that do it right, just like you mentioned. Use it as a part of the function to you know either put you on or off of a play. You know, uh, I feel bad for South Florida. May they rest in peace uh, facing Alabama coming up this week. Uh, what you said about Buffalo really uh, kicks me because uh, I'm a Badger fan, as you know, and, you know, the Badgers are saying, the fans are saying, oh, Buffalo's probably a pretty good team after we didn't cover against them. And okay, lo and behold, we lose to Washington State and Buffalo loses outright to an FCS team. So you can imagine how loud I was on my little uh, Badger group about that. But uh, just another reason to fade old Buffalo coming on in. And uh, obviously any other team, like you mentioned, that lost uh, this badly to an FCS team. That is some great stuff. So for more stats, make sure you follow in Ralph at Cal Sports Las Vegas or LV for Las Vegas. Let's get into some games then, my man. Um, and we picked a few of them. I picked three. You picked two. We can do a little hodgepodge after. I have a couple plays, but I'm going to talk uh, Illinois plus 14 and a half. Uh, versus Penn State. That's what the spread is. It used to be 15. It kind of trickled down a little bit. Total's around 48, 48 and a half for this game. Now, I kind of, I looked at this game and it's funny that people start talking about metrics and stats. It's too early for that, especially when some of these schedules are way out of whack, you know? So what we what we do, but we go by power ratings. We go by our power ratings. We go by spots, overreaction systems, as you mentioned before, uh, weather, whatever else we can bring. But I just like how Brett Bielema knew how to play this Penn State team back in 21. And he had nobody in 21. He had kind of had his good team last year and he lost some people. But they went outright in Happy Valley. But the way they did it is that they really muddied up the game. They slowed it down ran the ball and kind of that that's really the the way a lot of teams win against better teams you know just frustrate them they're not in the rhythm because they're not out there well Brett Bielema knows how to do that now he couldn't do it last week against a great coach in Lance Leopold uh hoping my 35 to 1 in the Big 12 lasts a little bit longer this year but it'd be nice to see Kansas in that game but uh Penn State's numbers look good they've played nobody literally nobody Jeff Sagarin says Illinois has played the 24th hardest schedule so far, while Penn State has played the 120th hardest schedule. That doesn't bode well for West Virginia, but if you remember, uh, Coach was complaining that Franklin did run up the score on them just to cover. That's the only scare I have playing against Franklin. But coming into Illinois, Illinois looked really bad last week against Kansas. These kids are going to be motivated. Penn State, not sure what they're feeling right now, but they haven't played anybody. My power ratings have this about 12 and a half, so I'm still taking Illinois here at plus 14 and a half for a couple stars, and that will be my play I'm giving out for this game. Any agreement, disagreement, or thoughts on this game, Ralph? I have a slight disagreement with you. Um, you know, Penn State has been clean. You know, they played West Virginia at home, so it was a good opener. Now, granted, Delaware is going to pull your schedule down, and they, they did what they had to do. So the stats are very misleading. But I just don't feel comfortable with Illinois. Um, I think Penn State isn't getting priced properly. This is a rare case. Normally, I hate the AP polls because they just take who wins and moves them up. But I think they actually did the right thing, moving Penn State up and dropping 
dropping Ohio State down because of the eye test, because Drew Aller has been a better quarterback than the Ohio State guys, and he finally named who his starter is. But to me, Illinois played Toledo at home, back and forth game, pulled out the win. Kansas, they rushed five for 5.0 yards per carry, but they allowed, they allowed eight sacks. I really like this Penn State defense who had uh, three sacks against West Virginia, four sacks against Delaware. Altmeyer again, 68.5% against weak secondaries and back sevens where this Penn State scares me. So uh, I lean Penn State, disagree with you a little bit, but uh, I won't have my money on it. So good luck to you, Kiev. Well, thank you. I mean, the under is not a bad look either. I was looking at the under. And if it's true that this Penn State defense is going to travel and shut down Illinois, which very much might happen, then you look towards the under. But the under is going down. You have a dog of 14 and a half or higher. Anything under 50, you got to slightly consider that as maybe looking towards the dog just in general. But uh, nope, that's little disagreements. Good. Let's move on to Tennessee versus Florida. Florida plus six and a half. The totals 58 and a half. Now, I'm not sure if you have a play on this or a lean, but I do. But I'm letting you go first to see if there's any disagreement, Ralph. Um, I have not finalized my college football card. But for this show, I definitely have a play. And it's either on under 58 or under uh, 28 and a half for the first half. I haven't decided which way I've gone. And I'll tell you what. I've had success so far this year. Well, I talked about the plays per game not being down so much and the scoring being up. I think we're going to start seeing a big difference between those running teams, the option teams, the run-heavy teams, where we're going to see more unders, and I think there's some value in this game. Now, this is the one game I talked about, and I prefaced earlier talking about Tennessee's offense, 499 yards against Virginia in a neutral setting, 456 yards against Austin Pay. Well, they emptied a bench against Austin Pay, and they could have had a lot more. So Vegas is betting, is making a number based on their 49 points and their 30 points scored. But the Virginia game, remember, Virginia shortened their season last year because of the tragedy on campus. They didn't play their last few games. You know, and they come in, and, and they have a home game on deck, and they're playing in an NFL stadium. So Tennessee uh, Tennessee fans are um, – are excited and it helps them. I really like this Tennessee defense. People talk about their offense. I don't think Milton Milton now has to play on the road. That wasn't a neutral game again, like I said, against Virginia. I think Milton struggles on the road. This Tennessee team, let's remember, they are 2-16 and 16 against Florida the last 18 years, and they have not won in the swamp since 2001. So you have to overcome those type of things. Coach is going to say, oh, those don't matter matter different teams different years but it does those players know so i think they start off slow as far as florida goes we all remember they lost 24 to 11 against utah and looked crappy utah without their starting quarterback they still held utah to 270 yards and they lost that game because of special teams and because of uh, turnovers so you know you have graham mertz we know he's not going to throw the ball very much at least they're not going to want to. They ran 51 times against McNeese State. They passed the ball 23 times. Uh, they had to throw against Utah because they got down so early and so big. So I think Florida keeps it close, has a conservative game plan. 
I think Tennessee doesn't want to expose Milton too much on his first true road start in an SEC opponent. They run the ball early. So most of my unders for the next few weeks, I'll be using first halves. I did that well this past week. Had two winners losing uh, first half. Um, And just to throw out a, a frustrating game that you said, Kiev, I've lost two total plays this year. The one was on Penn State scoring with their backups with one second to go on the last play of the game. <laughs> Brutal. The other was the other was Syracuse and Western Michigan, who had 52 points in the first half. Syracuse pulled their entire squad and didn't score in the second half. So that's the way to get pissed off losing two over so far this year. <laughs> I, I totally get it. It, it is, and uh, that's that's bad beats. You know, and we're going to get that all the time. But unfortunately, I went with the over. And Ralph. He, I, I took it 57 and a half and it went to 58 and a half. Okay. So it's not like I have this massive line value here and there's probably reason why it's not jacking up right now. You know, it's kind of hovering there. I checked the weather. I mean, it's supposed to rain in Florida on Sunday, but it, it right now it's, uh, it's holding up. Now the, the last game did go over. It was scored into the high sixties or early or seventies. You got to remember that you got to throw some of the older stuff away without the Josh Heupel, but I just feel that Tennessee is going to get their points. I just don't know how good their defense really is. I know that they played uh, uh, Virginia, and Virginia's offense really doesn't do it for me. They scored a little bit against James Madison, which was good for them. But uh, They had a backup quarterback in, of course, uh, during that game. Uh, but uh, like you said, Austin P. And their offense really looked ugly that first half. Last week, it took them a while. They scored 13 points in the first half last week. And I do, there's there's concerns for Milton. And this isn't a max play for me. But one thing that catches my eye, it's that the speed of Tennessee. I mean, they just play ridiculously fast. You know, I'll share my screen here. Um, I got a little nice little database. Uh, their tempo is number one in the country. And that's saying a lot against a lot of those scrubs that they played and the fact that, you know, they weren't really in a shootout in their first game, you know. Uh, 19.13 seconds per play. Now, Florida's a bit slower at 29.39, but my thought process is that maybe uh, Florida's going to have to keep up. And Graham Mertz, God, he threw the ball like, what, 37, 40 times in that game versus Utah. Why is Napier going to be different? I'm sure he doesn't want to be different. But he might be in a situation where he has to be different. I just thought this was a little bit low for a team that plays so fast. Now, the question is, whoever's going to dictate the pace is going to win this bet for either you or me. But it's interesting that you have the under. And I'm definitely, whenever you say something like that, I definitely get a little bit concerned, Ralph. So uh, we'll see what happens. Well, Kiev, again, remember, I I said first half. So it's, and, and part of the reason for the first half is this. If Florida does get down and have to start throwing the ball, that does pick up the pace. So, like I said, if I'm using unders, it's likely first half. I do have one more stat. Uh, If anyone is on the Florida side, um, let's remember that uh, uh, Billy Napier, as a dog, he is now 15-4-1 ATS at ULL in Florida as a dog. So, he knows how to shrink a game. When when he's an underdog, he has his team prepared and ready. And that includes that Utah loss that that wasn't good. So Billy Napier, uh, one of the best underdog coaches in college football. 
All right, well, I don't disagree with that. He has been a good underdog coach. He just hasn't done anything in Florida yet, so we'll see. Hopefully, uh, you know, Graham Mertz, uh, I, to be honest with you, I want him to succeed after all he failed as a badger. I felt bad for him. He, the, the kid had the yips. Um, I want him to succeed and uh, hopefully do something uh, good this season. So next game I picked was Florida State versus Boston College, and by, I wrote this down uh, you, this morning, I think, plus 25.5. Totals at 49. I can check our Bet Fred odds screen just to see if uh, uh, Florida State is still there. Yeah, it's uh, 26 on Bet Fred odds, and the totals at 48. Now, this is a low total, you know, and uh, there's reasons for it. And I was actually shocked to see when I checked the weather on this one, man, because it says 25 mile per hour winds. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> what other games are going way up there in uh, Boston, right, in that area? So uh, that that explains a lot of things because there was movement on this, Ralph. It was at 28, 29, and it kind of moved all the way down to 25 and a half, 26. But this is an interesting game to discuss because Boston College has looked so terrible so far. The Eagles are negative 0.22 yards per play. Against Holy Cross in Northern Illinois. I mean, you can't get any worse than that, man. <laughs> I think I might have taken their over, too. I'm really sweating that one. Uh, I think they got the W against one of those, but that, that thing's toast. But Florida State looked almost perfect so far. A uh, little slow start after their letdown last week, but they ended up getting going. Now that conference play is starting, things do get a bit dicey. And this line's crashing because of the wind. And the fact, maybe maybe it's because they have Florida State on deck. Now, I'm not a big, or Clemson on deck. Clemson, Florida State's the next game. So that's going to be a big game for next week. So you wonder how vanilla this team's going to be at the end. And maybe you know, they, they get backdoored at the end because of, you know, not trying to show their full playbook. Now, I would guess that they showed a lot of versus LSU. But still, this is a coaching philosophy that maybe they don't want to hurt their guys. You know, kind of prepare for the big game if they have Boston College in their sights. Uh, my, my number on this, Ralph, is t- minus 29, so I'm not taking it. Um, I, I, I explain the reasons why I'm not. I could see uh, Boston College being the side here, um, probably not touching it, but I'll tell you this, it's, it's, it's beauty versus ugliness, and it's so fun to see the ugliest win sometimes. I'm, I don't think it's going to happen this time, but I wanted to talk about the spots in this game, Ralph. Well, I, I, I'm not going to bet Boston College, you know, uh, this is uh, what hurricane is, or whatever the hurricane is. That that's why the winds are there. And this really, you know, it's not near the coast, but that's how strong the hurricane is to carry those winds out. This is this is a noon game, and I thought about playing the under because of the wind, because that will affect it. But you don't get a real accurate hour per hour forecast this quick in advance, so I'll leave it with leaning to the under. The only way, only team I play is Florida State, but I'm not playing it because you mentioned it the situation this is their first true road game you know the the beating against lsu was in orlando so they had the fan base you're now playing on the road at boston college so you have jordan travis who's only completing 63 percent he was only 18 of 32 against southern miss you know they ran for 300 yards and 8.3 yards per carry and they're not going to do that against bc yes bc is a crappy team but it's still a division uh conference foe um one of the differences between Florida State of the past and this year is they always knew they were second fiddle. So when they had Clemson on deck, 
they knew they had to take care of business and then get the Clemson. This year, they actually have the bullseye on their back. And these are 20-year-old kids. There's no way in hell you can't say, well, shit, Clemson lost to Duke. We beat Boston College. If we beat Clemson next week, we're basically in the ACC championship because Clemson will have two conference losses. So I've had Florida State high. I actually had them higher than Clemson in my preseason ratings. If I was going to play this game, as I said, I'll look at the hour for hour and lean with the under um, because because if there is a lot of wind, Mike Norvell is not going to have his team throw the ball. He's going to be happy running the ball, getting out of dodge with a win, not caring about covering the point spread. But I would like to play instead of the full game over the in the first half, 14 and a half is the total. I'm not worried about that half hook in the first half i'm okay laying it with a team like florida state that i think could easily jump out to a 21 or 28 point lead and then relax their guys and boston college may have um some putback i do want to mention you talked about them losing to northern illinois um the team they beat holy cross last week is an excellent fcs team i think they lost us to to North Dakota State in the finals last year. They were undefeated. So they are an elite team this year. So the loss isn't as bad as that. But, yeah, they allowed 264 yards and 6.8 yards per carry uh, uh, against them. So let's see. Uh, FSU rushed for 308.3. Boston College allowed 264, 6.8. Uh, Jordan Travis may not throw the ball all game. <laughs> I wouldn't. I would throw it. <laughs> Why bother, man? Take them out in the second half. Yeah, Holy Holy Cross, my sister played hockey there, so I'm really nice to see the, their success here at the lower levels, but man, but uh, they just went to Division, Division One right when she was in there like 15 years ago or whatever it was, but... Man, uh, now it's 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 just an interesting game to talk about because you can just see all of a sudden Boston College beats Florida State. What is going on? I just remember when Syracuse beat Clemson. It was it, it's kind of like the same feeling, but this might be worse uh, if this happens. But uh, you know, it's it's college football. Yeah, you know, these kids have emotions. That teams get momentum. Kids play out of their minds while the other ones are start just stuck and trying to adjust it, it, it this happens but this is why we talk about it let's get into the best bet portion then my man and i'll go first with mine and i'm looking at a game that really was a head scratcher for me i i seen kansas state versus missouri and kansas state was laying about three and a half at open the totals was 48 now this went to five and on our bet fred odds screen it looks like still at five here with a total of 48 but man i have no idea what makes people think that this should be such a low spread in this situation man i mean i watched this game last year and i'm pretty sure kansas state still has the same quarterback there you know um missouri went there and they got beat 40 to 12 it wasn't really a game um this year missouri looks almost as bad as Boston College, maybe. They really struggled against Tennessee State. Now, maybe they're being vanilla for this game. I don't know. That's always hearsay, um, unless you really know the playbook and you really know the coach's tendencies. If you're a fan of that team, then maybe you can tell me if they are vanilla on purpose for whatever reason. But Middle Tennessee State is nothing to uh, get excited about. This year, uh, what changed to me? You know, I have to, I have to ask myself, what changed to me here? You have a great coach a top three Big 12 team, 
against the bottom of the barrel type. Well, I, I, let's not go that far, but Vanderbilt, I guess, would still be there. But they are not a good SEC team. And my power ratings, I'm sorry, have this at like 10 to 11 points still. I am shocked it's still less than seven. This is my best bet. Kansas State minus four and a half for three stars. You tell me where I'm wrong, buddy. Uh, I'm looking right now. I have Kansas State a 16, and I have Missouri a 23. So I have it. I have it at five. Um, I, I but I don't disagree. I mean, I have it at five, but I, I lean Missouri, and I don't change my power ratings for small injuries. If someone's out for the year, I do. Um, and again, I, I am conservative, making adjustments early if you still beat the team. But if you read the Columbia newspapers, uh, I don't care if he's playing vanilla or not. They're not happy with this offense at all. I mean, Eli kept talking to us on how much this offense is going to be improved. And, you know, when you look at the numbers and you say, oh, Brady Cook has completed 77.5% and he hasn't thrown an interception, uh, that sounds like a pretty good team. But, you know, they were sacked four times against Middle Tennessee. That That's a scary thing to now be playing a Kansas State team that is allowing two foes, granted, Troy and Southeast Missouri State. But Troy was a good team. I mean, they were laying 15 and a half against Troy, and they win by 29. But yeah. when you have a Kansas State team that's allowing 38 yards per game rushing, 1.4 yards per carry, and has four sacks in the two games uh, with opponents that aren't truly pass-heavy teams, uh, I could only go one way. And you have the better coach, you have the better quarterback, uh, I think you have the better defense. So uh, I'm not really sure. You know, it's funny, Kiev, when you go through your games and you start breaking them down and I start marking the ones I like to look at it deeper, for some reason this didn't make it into that mix. But talking to you, uh, you might have me bring it back in and look at it a little closer. And, you know, for people that don't know, even though we handicap for a living – you're not going to do the same work on all 50 games each week or, or 60 games when there's times. So you look at what your power rating numbers say. You start looking at situations. You know, and I, I don't know how many you, Kiev, I usually take 18 to 20 games in the mix that I start doing the heavy reading on and moving forward. Again, I didn't have this one in the mix, but I might pull it back in. So uh, we'll see about that. About same for me. Uh, it's a it's an ongoing process. We start right away on Sunday. Even I do my power ratings on Sunday morning, and I just look at every single box score, and I do my misleading score analysis that we publish over at the website. And uh, you know, it all starts there, really. And then you know, obviously, you, you you cap off some quick lines in the beginning because you don't have a time a ton of time to do the analysis. You just check any injuries there, or anything. Power rings way off. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. See if it's worth a give out. And then later, you know, Monday, you're doing more and more research. You get up to 20, 25 games you pick out of the full slate of 60-some games. So same process. But you're, I just could not find a reason. Sometimes as coaches just know how to play other teams. And in this situation, Kleiman is just a fantastic coach. And UCF on deck, it's not like they have someone big on deck. It's, it's just they come from Troy. They want to beat the SEC team. They're now thinking to themselves, you know, TCU got all the accolades. We beat them last year. Let's show who's the real king of the Big 12 and possibly get in the playoffs. That's their mindset, Ralph. You know, for any, for any new handicappers out there, I mean, we talk about this in the NFL, and I do this in college football. Maybe that's why I didn't have this game in, in here, is that I make my lines a full week in advance. So 
I don't want to overreact to last week's games. Obviously, if there's a team like Colorado, you have to overreact huge. But, you know, like those NFL look-ahead lines that move two or three or four points because of a Monday night performance, the same thing holds true. We just don't have the NFL look-ahead lines to do it. But, you know, my advice to you is make your lines two weeks in advance, go through the games, take a look at what they are, and then see what the difference is from where you made the lines and see if that overreaction was legitimate. Did a team get blasted? Did they have a bunch of group injuries during the game? Was this a, a look at? Was this a flat spot because of look ahead? So, um, looking back at what my number was two weeks ago, I I didn't have the number high enough, so I didn't throw it in the mix. But there's times that even though the number's not as good, you don't want to underreact either. You know, especially if you watch the team play, it's different for me. I changed my power ratings and I'm conservative early in the year. Unless I had the eye test and watched that entire game, then I'm apt to move it more because I'm not basing it on a box score. All right. No, it sounds great. And that's just the process that everyone should be following. I love the fact you make your lines earlier. You know, I don't, I don't quite take that step. I know I do look at them though, because sometimes I will bet it overhead, uh, a look ahead line, especially in the NFL where there's just so much easier to do. But um, you know, if I'm already on the team that I'm kind of expecting to win, you know, I, and I, I might be like, well, they're going to get a bump up here. I might want to take them next week or fade a team. If I expect a team to lose, I might be taking the other side. So that happens a lot as well. But that is some great advice from one of the best out there, Ralph Michaels. So you might have a best bet coming on. I think you told me Washington versus Michigan State, where Michigan State is about a 16-point dog. Total on this game is 58. Lay it on us, Ralphie. What do you got? Listen, I've read some things and, you know, oh, the coach is going to be back and Dan Antonio is now part of the team and they're going to be thrilled for this. Listen, if you're if you're Michigan State, you've gone through so much crap on this team. I think I think they throw in in the, in the white towel halfway through the first quarter. I love Michael Penix. I love Kalen DeBoer. You know, when DeBoer uh, when DeBoer was the OC at Fresno State, I loved him. He went to become the OC at Cincinnati. Then he went to Fresno to be the head coach. Then he moved here. I mean, we have Penix that you know is a legitimate Heisman quarterback. 73%, a YPA of 11.0. You've played Boise and Tulsa. So your average score is 50 to 15, and you're one of the rare teams that have played two FBS foes. Now, Tulsa was without their top two quarterbacks last week, so we can't take much into that. Uh, the Washington defense does concern me a bit. We've had some big scores, but when I look at Washington and I break them down, you know, you have to look at, the first half scores because against Tulsa, they had a 22, three lead at half. They had held Tulsa to 168 yards, you know, and they, and they gave up a couple plays in the, in the second half that were long plays Boise, the same thing. Um, am I concerned that they're, they only rushed 4.5 yards per carry and under hundred yards per game? Yes, I am. But Michigan State's played Central Michigan and Richmond. I think they are completely overrated as far as those numbers go. Uh, their sack numbers, they had 10 sacks, including seven against Richmond. They're not going to be able to blitz Penix because he's so good at, um, at taking the blitz and sending them out. This Washington team's playing with confidence. It's a coach I like. It's a quarterback I like. If Michigan State is in the game early, yeah, I could see them playing and, and saying it's us against the world. 
the way Washington has started, I think they get out quick. I'm not afraid to lay the 16. I saw a 16 and a half pop out up there. Uh, to me, they can get it done on the road. Well, there you go. Laying the wood. Look at that. Road chalk in a power five game of two teams that are not supposed to be bad. Minus 16. That is a big statement, Ralphie. I will be rooting for you this weekend for sure, man. Wow. Uh, it, it, I can't believe the demise of Michigan State. and I don't even know it, where I'm right on because my number is 14. But I, I couldn't bet Michigan State. You know, it's almost like how much do I have to adjust because of the Mel Tucker and the dysfunction and what the heck's going on over there? And Michael Penix, they owned him last year. I remember Michigan State being road chalk last year when they went to Washington and got blown out here. Kalen DeBoer is a serious coach. He's probably quickly into entering my top five, man, if he's not already there in my mind, right? I... I think that Washington's a fantastic team, and they're going to be fun to watch. And I do have Washington as a sleeper to win the Pac-12 uh, this year. So loving Washington and love the play. Well, there's our best bets. We have Kansas State minus 4.5, and, and we have Washington at minus 16. Let's do a little hodgepodge since we have a little time, Ralph. Um, let's just pick a game, man. Um, it, I'll pick one right now, and you can keep looking here. I'll, I'll try not to bore people too much. <laughs> But uh, why don't we go with BYU-Arkansas? I find this interesting because Arkansas really handled this team in BYU last year. Uh, but now Arkansas is only laying eight points. You know, and just kind of looking at this, I, I passed on this game when I was doing my, you know, uh, prep. I, this wasn't my top 20 where I kind of go in and see if I can find some angles because it's kind of off. But one thing I will say is Arkansas was really underwhelming their last game. Uh, BYU, I don't know what to make of them yet either. Um, very unknown for me on this side. Uh, maybe you have something for this game. The total's pretty low at 47.5 for a, a game that went way over, if I remember right, last year, Ralph. Yeah, well, you look at, at, you look at Arkansas this year. You know, Sam Pittman in his fourth season now. Uh, you know, they, they returned only four they returned only four starters on the offensive side. So getting 379 yards, that has to be the most misleading box score there's been this year, Kiev. Uh, against, against Western Carolina, they gained 379 yards, and they put up 56 points. So uh, you want to go points per yard, that's, that's, not, a bad, that's not a bad way to go. Uh, Kent State, am I concerned that they only had 308 yards against Kent State? Yes. They ran 172 times, 3.8 yards per carry. I watched bits and pieces of that. Now, I will say this. They could have scored a lot more. But what Sam Pittman did is Kent State had six and seven players in the box, and he still ran the ball 45 times and only passed the ball 19 times. If he wanted to run some screens or really wanted to expose, hit some quick hitters, he could have. So this is one offense that I think is much better than they've showed on paper. You know, Western Carolina, Kent State, BYU all at home, and then they go to LSU and play A&M and play Old Miss. So I think he is playing sly. Maybe he opens it up a little bit more this year. As far as BYU goes, uh, you know, Slovis, you know, all these USC quarterbacks that are transferring around the world now, of course, you have Keaton Slovis, and uh, I thought he would do better than to start so 
far, 65% completions, a 4-1 ratio. But Southern Utah, BYU only ran the ball 23 times for 46 yards. That's at home against Southern Utah. Sam Houston, they ran for 3.3 yards per carry. So the only way I could play is looking at an Arkansas defense that has held their two very weak foes to 1.4 yards per carry and nine sacks against a BYU team that's played nobody and Slovis has been clean. They have had not allowed a sack. I think that changes this week. So even though it's a low total, if Arkansas does get the lead, I think Sam Pittman just keeps running the ball. So I lean Arkansas, and I would lean under first half in this situation again. I like that. You know, KJ Jefferson is just going to run the ball and run the ball and just not that let them back in. Now, yes, it's funny looking at some of the stats. I mean, there's both schedules ranked so bad because Kent State is so bad. But, you know, the reason I asked it, they were so underwhelming score-wise against Kent State. But you pointed out a few reasons why that could have been a little bit misleading. But um, maybe this is also why the spread is down a little bit lower. I, I just had more of a tougher time with Slovis, you know, trying to power rate this this BYU team who played Sam Houston State and won 14 to zip. Looks like Sam Houston is one of the slower teams in the, with a decent defense. But Southern Utah, you know, 41 to 16 against Southern Utah should have been a little bit better than that, in my opinion, as well. So this is probably all SEC or nothing, and um, they're going to be uh, definitely psyched up for this game. So I find that interesting. Do you want to pick out a game for this week? Uh, no, you throw out one more, and I'll talk about whatever you bring up. All right. Well, let's let's see if we can dig deep here and find something interesting. Um, well, this is uh, Pittsburgh versus West Virginia is kind of interesting, just because of you know what happened last week. <laughs> Pittsburgh losing outright. That was pretty disgusting. Um, uh, we can talk about that one. There's there's not a lot of other big games. It's like you could just pick Hawaii, Oregon, you know, Florida, Atlantic, Clemson. Like we said, there's this is not a massive week where we're going to get those big ranked teams against each other. So let's let's talk about West Virginia and see if they can hang a little bit with Pittsburgh. I thought they hanged a little bit last year for a while, didn't they? Yeah, you know, it's obviously the rivalry back, and and that means a lot. You know, you you look at Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, they take care of Wofford. They lose to Cincinnati, which which certainly I was shocked at. And, yeah, they gained 217 yards against Wofford on the ground. Uh, but I, I, I thought Cincinnati, Cincinnati clearly, uh, I did not expect them to be that solid on defense. So was that was that Pittsburgh being playing poor? I mean, you know, when, when you throw up 32 passes and, and you only gain 179 yards, your YPA is going to be pretty damn bad. Um, I, I look at it as I don't want I don't want to play Pittsburgh on the road. I'm not a big fan of new quarterbacks and playing on the road in the first road game against a Power Five team. Um, now, Jerkovic is is obviously not a new quarterback, but he's new to the Pittsburgh system. You know, with this. As far as West Virginia goes, the loss of Penn State, you know, they were in that game early. Penn State scores a couple late touchdowns to, to get the cover and the over in that game. And, you know, I'm not I'm not a green fan. You know, we saw them bring their backup in a couple times already this year. Um, it, it's a game that I am going to lean under again. You know, Pittsburgh ran the ball 29 times against Cincinnati. 
West Virginia against Duquesne ran the ball 49 times. First road starts against Power 5 teams. I'm going to sound like a record, Kev. If I'm going to look at anything, I'm going to look at under in the first half, and this is another situation where I think they do. Uh, West Virginia's defense, again, they gave up 478 yards against Penn State, but playing Penn State at night on the road in the first game of the season, I can forgive that and expect better things now. Well, they're also more in that game towards until the end, you know. Uh, their defense is success right now. We can't really go by stats, like I say, but still, I mean, it still ranks third in success rate. They're doing some good stuff. Uh, their defensive line certainly looks better so far in the early stats. Obviously, this stuff, you know, these metrics, you know, passing success rate and line yards and stuff, this comes to fruition more week four, week five anyway, you know. But uh, you're right. This The, the state strength schedule is pretty close, and uh, this could be a, definitely a rushing game for sure. You know, being so close to pick here, it, it's just very interesting to me. Um, I think this look-ahead line was Pittsburgh certainly favored at West Virginia. Now it's kind of went down um after pittsburgh lost to cincinnati but then again cincinnati's been a good program sure they lost their coach fickle but you know i mean they these kids are playing with honor and uh, know they lost their coach and want to at least start out good and they are now in the big 12 too so we have to start respecting some of those teams that moved up as well uh yeah fascinating game uh it's gonna be interesting with seeing what the coaches do here for sure so um just wanted to throw that one out there but before we go anything in the nfl that caught your eye this week that you might be playing? A uh, little early in the NFL week for me, but there's a couple things I want to keep you aware of. We talked about some trends and angles for college football. I have a couple I want to mention in the NFL. Um, and again, if you follow me on Twitter, or I'll tell you what, even better, Kiev, I do a trends and angles segment on our, our Wager Talk Bet On It show every day. If you go to my homepage, I now have a PDF with all the trends and angles and all the games it applies to for that week for college and NFLs. So the shortcut is wt.buzz backslash rm. But how about this? Since 2017, if you look at NFL game number two only, if you won as a home favorite in game one, you are only 32.4% against the spread in game two. The NFL is a league of adjustments. It's very wow. difficult to win your first two games of the year. So that is just taking every NFL game one. That one game one is a home favorite since 2017. They're 32.4% against the spread. And if you lost game one as a home dog, you are 65.2% against the spread. So don't think in the NFL, oh, this team looks so good, I want to bet on them, or this team lost as a home dog, I want to fade them. It's been the exact opposite. And I'm going to give you two more situations that I lean with these systems. I'm not sure if they're going to be plays. When you're playing an NFL game and you're trailing by nine or more at halftime, you're going to go into halftime. You're going to get the motivational speak. You're going to come out in the third quarter. And obviously, you're going to play very well the third and fourth quarter if you trailed by nine and you end up winning the game. Going all the way back since 2012, when an NFL team was trailing by nine or more at half and they won the game, they are only 38.5% the next week, like the Jets. If they trailed by nine and a half and won the game at home, they're 29.5% against the spread. And this also applies to the Jets. 
if you were trailing by nine or half, by nine or more at the half, you won the game at home, and now you're on the road, you're 27.9% ATS. That system says to fade the New York Jets and play on Dallas this week. Obviously, now with the quarterback situation, that line is a little more inflated. And then the last one, how about this? Starting game one against the division foe is tough. If you lose that division game and have another division game on deck in week number two, like Cincinnati, they lost to Cleveland, they're playing Baltimore. Indy lost to Tennessee. Excuse me, Indy lost to Jacksonville. Now they're playing Houston. Carolina lost to Atlanta. Now they're playing New Orleans. Since the year 2000, teams that lost game number one against the division foe and are playing game number two against the division foe have gone 83.3% against the spread in game number two. That's one of the strongest statements that makes complete sense to me that says play on Cincinnati, Indy, and Carolina. And how about this? Those teams that lost straight up, the average line in game two was plus 0.8. So they were basically plus one point per game. Straight up, Kiev, those teams have won 80.6% of the time. So if you have a situation like a dog, sprinkle some on the money line if they're in that role because they've won 80.6%. They've covered 83.3%. I don't think I've ever seen a straight-up record with an average line of being a dog like that in that situation. So to me, it makes total sense. And, you know, when you have to start two division games in a row and you lose the first, there's a hell of a lot of motivation in week number two. So Carolina is that dog that you mentioned. You know, I mean, yeah. plus three and yeah. a half, that's a sprinkle side because Cincy and Indy are kind of favorites right now, but still, yeah. but, but according to the, they cover too. But the, I mean, the dog angle looks pretty amazing for the winning outright. I believe you said something like 80% or something winning outright. 80, 80.6% straight up. And the average line was plus 0.8. So the average line, they were an underdog. So, you know, I like, I like the saints coming in, um, Fortunately, I, I used the Saints on the money line week one because it was a very cheap money line relative to the three-point line. So I did get a win on that. Um, but that will keep me off of it. And the other thing you got to remember is, as bad as Carolina looked, listen, when you're a rookie quarterback starting game one and you're starting on the road, like Houston, like Carolina, it, it's going to be so much different different from game one to game two, the leaps and bounds you make. So you almost have to take Carolina's stats game one and put an asterisk on it with the 14 points they scored at Atlanta. And I, again, I thought I thought the Saints, to me, I like the Saints. Uh, they missed Kamara. Remember, Kamara's out the first three weeks. They couldn't run the ball without him. And it made all the difference in the world in that offense. So uh, to me, that situation kept me off. I'm not going to play Carolina, but I thought about playing the Saints, did some of this work, and then playing on the road now, Derek Carr, first road game, and the offense line struggling without Kamara certainly keeps me off of the situation. I, I can I liked what you said because I was considering the Saints for many reasons. Um, I was a little off in the power ratings. I have the Saints a little bit higher than the spread right now. Um, I, I was down in Carolina coming in from preseason. I thought that they're completely discombobulated still. And uh, But th- this is just one of those situations where the angle's just screaming at you 80%. You do not want to go against 80%, man, because I mean, 
just on the money line is I'll tell you in one second uh, minus four hundred, right? So I mean, why would you want to go against that? That is scary stuff. Well, Ralph, what's not scary is your great knowledge and your amazing plays and gifts that you give everybody in the weekend. Such a great follow on Twitter. Amazing stats that you share for free. Where could our listeners and viewers get your great information and plays? Again, at Cal Sports LV, my Twitter. And uh, there's there's two things I want to tell you. Go to the website. I'm not going to try to sell you anything. The the quick the quick link to my page is wt.buzz backslash rm. So wt for wager talk buzz backslash rm. There's two things. My son and I did an NFL betting guide, the 25 biggest NFL betting mistakes and myths busted or supported. How teams do off back-to-back division games, teams in division sandwiches, uh, teams that are playing a second straight home game, second straight road game. You know, Kiev, if I said to you, if I went to a bar and said, uh, which is a better ATS record, NFL teams playing a second straight home game or NFL teams playing a second straight road game? Second straight road game in the NFL is actually 9% better ATS than home teams. Teams off a bye, home favorites off a bye have been miserable. But if you're a home favorite the week before a bye, it's been very successful. So 25 trends and angles, that guide is absolutely free. And then check the bet on it weekly stats. Those are angles that apply only to this week's games. It lists all the angles, all the ATS records, and all the teams it applies to in both the NFL and college football. Wonderful stuff. Thank you so much for sharing that great information, Ralph. Love having you on the Oddsbreakers. You've been such a longtime friend of ours. I hope you win all your bets this weekend. Enjoy yourself watching the games. Thanks, Keith. Now it is time for the sharp side of the force. The sharp side of the force is brought to you by Betfred Sports. For a $250 bonus, please visit the Oddsbreakers slash Betfred. Terms, conditions, and location apply. All right. Let's start out with sharp money. We're going to start with sharp college football money movement week three. As of Wednesday around noon, Pacific sharp money on Memphis minus 12.5 to minus 14.5, hosting Navy 72% of the tickets and 87% of the money. Sharp money on Iowa State from minus one to minus three and a half at Iowa, Ohio, actually, at Ohio Bobcats. 82% of the tickets, 97% of the money. Sharp money on Notre Dame minus. 31.5 to 34.5. We have at uh, they're hosting Central Michigan 48% of the tickets and 71% of the money. Sharp money on Oregon State minus 20.5 to 24.5, hosting San Diego State 74% of the tickets and 95% of the money. And the fifth one is Washington minus 13.5 to minus 16.5. Ralphie's bet. 69% of the tickets and 89% of the money. Sharp totals. Utah State first Air Force under 48.5 to 46.5. 54% of the tickets and 97% of the money. Sharp my on Iowa State versus Ohio under 45.5 to 42.5. 59% of the tickets and 78% of the money. Sharp my on FIU versus UConn under 46 to 40.5. 81% of the tickets and 96% of the money. Dual action. Sharp money on Northwestern versus Duke over 46.5 to 48, 57% of the tickets, 95% of the money. Sharp money on James Madison University versus Troy under 50 to 47.5, 75% of the tickets and 95% of the money. Moving on to Sharp NFL. 
Sharp Man, the Bears, plus three to plus two and a half at the Bucks. 64% of the tickets, 92% of the money. Chance of rain that day. You remember when it rained in New England when the Bears played last year? Some of you Survivor players do. Sharp Man, the Cowboys, minus seven and a half to minus nine, hosting the Jets. 67% of the tickets and 90% of the money. That was a hell of a trend from Ralph. Sharp totals. Ralph, I'm sorry, Raiders versus Bills under 49.5 to 47. 67% of the tickets and 90% of the money. Sharp money on the Bears versus Buccaneers under 44 to 41.5. 52% of the tickets and 68% of the money. Sharp money on the Jets versus Cowboys under 49 to 39.5. Massive change. So that 49 was before Rodgers hurt, by the way. 74% of the tickets and 99% of the money. And sharp money on the Browns versus Steelers under 43 to 39.5. 70% of the tickets and 96% of the money. Now for our recap. I am taking the Rams plus the eight points or seven and a half, whatever you can get for two stars. Texans plus one for two stars. College side, Illinois. I'm taking them plus 14 and a half uh, for two stars and Tennessee over for two stars, as well as my best bet of Kansas State minus 4.5 for three stars. Obviously, check our website for more free plays from the odds breakers coming for this college football and NFL weekend. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I hope you enjoy all the games this weekend. I hope you cash in on all of your bets. And go get some winners.